pray with me now as we seek his blessing upon this time. Oh God in heaven, we ask you to open up our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts to understand the truth, to receive the word of God, to understand it for what it really says and to believe. Help us to see this, Lord, in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. This is the second uh, message in our series on Genesis. You can turn to chapter 1 of Genesis. Uh, Genesis is a book that is under attack in our society and yet is the foundation of the rest of the Bible. It's the reason that God put it first is because if God is not the creator, then nothing else he says really matters. So we believe that God is the creator. We discussed that last week about um, the fact that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and that is a foundational point of all of scripture, all of life. Uh, because if he's not the creator, then we don't have to do what he says, and we are in charge of our own lives. But if he is our creator, he has a right to us. He has a claim upon our soul, and we have to answer that claim. Today we're going to look at verse number 2 of Genesis chapter 1. This message is called, The Chaos is Conquered. The Chaos is Conquered. Verse Number two. In fact, let's just read verse one and two together. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now we may, and I, I can guarantee that we will end up going a little faster through the scriptures than just one verse at a time. But each verse has a lot of meaning in it. And so today we're going to focus on the second verse of Genesis and find the truth God has for us today in there. Now, in order to properly get a handle on this, we have to address a false teaching that is given about Genesis 1 and 2. Right before Genesis 2, some people teach and admonish the gap theory. It's a, um, it's a false teaching about Genesis, which tries to incorporate millions of years into the age of the earth and still maintain a quote-unquote literal interpretation of Genesis and say that God created the world in six days, but yet still somehow fit in a million years in there, uh, millions and millions of years. And where they do it is they slide it in some conjecture right in there between verses 1 and 2. It includes a belief that Lucifer fell during this period and that God completely destroyed his original creation until it became without form and void. Uh, wh everything we see today, all the creation we see now, except for that which is in the fossil record, was a do-over, <laughs> according to the gap theory. It's like God did it once, it was perfect, Lucifer fell, God destroyed the world in a flood, causing all the fossils, and then started over in verse 2 with everything. 
Um, this is, of course, completely false, and we'll see why in just a moment. It's an attempt to incorporate evolutionary geology into a literal interpretation of Genesis. They're trying to make Bible and evolutionary science fix to get fit together. But in order to do that, uh, you have to jump through some real hoops. <coughs> they believe that the fossils were part of this first creation that God destroyed. So all the fossils that we find in the ground now, which evolutionary science tries to claim was placed down over millions and millions of years, when actually it was only about one or two, uh, during Noah's flood, that's what we believe uh, caused the fossil record to be the way it is. Everything's sort of mixed up and jumbled on each other. You've seen in the textbooks how they say the fossil record goes straight down like this. That doesn't happen anywhere in the world. <laughs> you can't find the fossil record doesn't go all straight in order. That's in the textbook only. In the real world, the fossils that are under the ground do this, and all the different ages are... Uh, different types of rocks are all flopped around on each other and look like a huge pile of water laid them down real fast. That's really the best explanation. But in order to try to get the evolutionary ex explanation to fit, they have to try to slip in millions and millions of years in there. Uh, millions of years of death and destruction and damage and fighting and violence. There's some evidence in the fossil record of animals that were fighting each other when they died and they've been fossilized in the fighting stance. All of that, they say, happened before God created everything that we see now. Well, Scripture does not support this view, and here's a couple of reasons why. In Romans 5, verse 12, Matt can put it up on the board if he likes to, but um, we won't flip over there real, real quickly. We'll just read it. Romans 5, 12 tells us that by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. There could not have been either death or sin before Adam since the Bible clearly says that both things started with him. Adam and Eve sinned, and that brought death into the world. That brought sin into the world, which brought death. The gap theory requires millions of years of death and fossils before God ever created Adam. Even though they try to say it's six literal days, yeah, verses two and on, six literal day periods, but they want to try to say, well, there was millions of years before that happened, and that couldn't be, because death never happened until Adam sinned. That brought sin, and sin brought death. Exodus 20, verse 11 says this, in six days, Exodus 20, verse 11, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Uh, this would have to include the fossils and the geologic, geolog, geo, <laughs> if you didn't hear what he said he said geologic gradualism <laughs> well I guess you know we listen to the answers in Genesis in my house and Jonathan Park I think is probably where that came from good old Jonathan Park and all of that scientific data that's wonderful I love that geologic is the word I was looking for <laughs> yeah, go try to follow that up, Dad. This would have to include the fossils and geologic strata. It would also include Lucifer and the angels. So there's no way that Lucifer's fell happened before God created everything that is. Lucifer and the angels were created 
Everything that God made was created in six days, and at the end of those six, God said, it is all very good, including Lucifer. So Lucifer's fall had to happen after the six days. And um, all the fossils, all the dirt that's down there hasn't been there for millions of years. It's only been there for as long, you know, that sixth, sixth day. Then this theory also requires that there be practically no trace of Noah's flood anywhere in the world because all of the evidence we see of Noah's flood they claim was laid down in millions of years. This is highly unlikely that there's no trace of Noah's flood given the scriptural description of Noah's flood as a worldwide catastrophe. The bottom line on the gap theory is that it's full of logical gaps. Um, so it's aptly named and it is unbiblical. So there you have some ammunition. I don't really think anyone here probably would be a proponent of the gap theory. But for those of you that may be going to college, you might run into that, uh, even at a Christian college. So you need to be on guard and have the ammunition to be able to say, no, that's not right, and here's why. Well, let's look at the verse specifically for what it really does teach us. First of all, we have the empty chaos in verse 2, the empty chaos. The first verse of Genesis gives us a summary of what is about to follow. Verse 2 begins with the details of how God created the universe. So it's not a sequential thing. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's kind of like the, the theme or the topical heading, you might say, over what's to come next. And, then, and this is borne out if you look at the Hebrew uh, definitions of the word and. And the earth was without form and void. That is simply a beginning of, anyway, it's, it's detailed explanation, but the bottom line is the Hebrew bears this out, that then what comes next in verse 2 is a detailed description of what took place. These, verse, these chapters and these verses that we're looking at, not all of them are exactly in sequential order. Otherwise, we would have the creation of woman after God finished everything on the sixth day and rested the seventh day because woman is not described until later on. So the, that's the bottom line. It's a description of the details. The word without form, the world was, with, the earth was with, without form. It's a word that means to lie waste, a desolation. It's translated confusion or wilderness. I think when I was studying this, I thought of the Sahara Desert. It's just this wilderness, this barrenness, no form to it. The Sahara Desert is always shifting its shape because the sands are moving and there's no form. There's, it's a desolation is what this word means. And the word void, it comes from a root word which means to be empty. And this means an undistinguishable ruin. How's that for descriptive definition? An undistinguishable ruin. It means emptiness. It's void. It's empty. It's just ruination. Just nothing there. Completely empty. The earth was literally... Was the, the scripture is describing to us the earth was literally a place of confusion and emptiness. It was a formless nothing. A formless nothing. And darkness in, enveloped it all. There's no light whatsoever because light had yet to be invented. God hadn't invented any light yet. 
Darkness was just completely there. Do you know that darkness is not an actual thing? There's no darkness molecules. You can't infuse darkness into something. I, I, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. There might be some physicists that might know something more about this, maybe. Dark matter and stuff. But darkness is just the absence of light. It's just the place where light is not. Darkness doesn't actually exist, which is kind of mind-blowing when you stop and think about it, but it's just the absence of light. And that's what this was. This was a, a formless nothing completely encircled and enveloped by darkness, by no light at all. Why was there water? This is a question I have to ask myself every time I read this part of the Bible. Where did the water come from? Why was there water there? Well, it wasn't an ocean or a lake like we think of now. We think of water, we think of this thing, we think of this you know, fun stuff we have on the water. Hydrogen and oxygen were not yet created. So you can't get H2O without hydrogen and oxygen. It's, it's sort of mind-blowing, honestly. I'm not exactly sure what it was made of, but I don't think it was water, water, like we think of water. It was a mass of something similar to water and something very much like Earth combined, because you remember later on God uh, gathered all the water away from the Earth and separated the two. So before that happens, that means they were all mixed up together. So you have this bulbous mass of muddy kind of almost earth and something like earth and something like water sort of mixed up together. And it had very clearly from the scriptural, from the scriptural words and the meanings of them, whatever this was out there in space was combined and had no order, structure, or form. It had nothing in it. It was completely empty which I, I, it just stretches my mind to try to grasp a hold of that. But that's what the Bible is teaching us. It was completely empty. It was a floating and formless mass of entire confusion and chaos surrounded in a cloak of utter darkness. Entire darkness. Not even stars. Where did the water come from? Well, you know, the answer is I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. You'll have to go to God and talk about that with Him. But I can tell you what I do know about the Scriptures, and that is that whatever it was, was formless and void. It was confused chaos entirely. Maybe this was just the best way the Lord could explain to our limited understanding what the earth looked like at the very beginning, but it's still hard to imagine. This scripture, this verse, is a description of the earth as it existed before God began to create. And it's hard for us to grasp a hold of it, but this is the best description we have. The only description we have. This is also a picture of our soul in sin. It's a picture of ourselves when we are in our sins, dead in our trespasses and sins. Before we come to the cross, we are without purpose and without substance. There's no structure or meaning to our lives. 
We are a mass of confusion and emptiness pervades our soul. Without Jesus, emptiness pervades our soul. And we are a mass of confusion and questions and wonderings and hopes. We hope to find meaning, but we don't have it until we find Christ. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, and Colossians 2, verse 13, it tells us that we were dead in our sins before Christ. We were lifeless. No life. Darkness surrounds our life, and we are blinded to the truth. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says that we were, we were sometimes darkness. Ephesians 5, verse 8. We were darkness. We were just enveloped by darkness apart from Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says that we were under the power of darkness. So this description of the world, description of the universe, before Christ came, is a great picture of a sinful person and the chaos that surrounds their life, and the darkness that rules their soul. Apart from Christ, we have no hope and are bound for eternal destruction. All sinners will have their place in the lake of fire, the Bible says. So that is the chaos. What is the spark? What is the spark? Well, of course, it's the Spirit of God. In verse 2, read this again. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God's Spirit comes, and everything changes. Everything is different when the Spirit of God shows up. The Spirit of God moved or, or hovered. The Hebrew word could mean hovered but he was sort of floating out there in space. The Spirit of God moved over the water and things began to happen. A world is beginning. The light is coming. All because the Spirit of God decided to move. You ever stop to think about why did God make the world? What was it that, that, what was that spark that made him decide, you know what, I'm going to create. He didn't need anything. He's self-existent self-eternal, self-completing. He had everything. He had a relationship. God the Father had a relationship with God the Son through the Holy Spirit. They were all together. Amen. Why did he make the world? Ask him when you get there. I'm not sure I could tell you except that he wanted glory. Yes. Not that he wasn't getting it, but he decided, you know what? I could make beings, living souls, that would bring me glory for all eternity. And how wonderful is this relationship that I have with my son through the Holy Spirit. Why don't we make millions more, billions more? Let's make billions more beings to share relationship with. How wonderful would that be? And, that, that, and so it all begins. For relationship. So that God could know you and me. God knew that Nancy was going to get born now, this time in history. 
He knew Byron was coming. He knew Hannah was going to be here. He knew when Ronnie would get born and what he would do and how many fish he would catch before he died. <laughs> he knew it. And he said, I want that guy. He said, I want that lady right there. He said, I will create a world in which all these individuals have the opportunity to be part of this beautiful relationship, this amazing, eternal blessedness of love. Thank God that he did. He is the, the spark. This phrase, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, is the promise of wonderful things to come. That is the promise. That's the, that's the turning point. There was the chaos and then things changed. You see, that's the next thing that we want to notice about this is that it reveals something to us about the nature of God. He is the difference maker both in creation and in everything else. Part of his nature is that he is the, the difference maker. All is chaos and confusion and then comes Christ. And nothing is ever the same. The Spirit moves. The Spirit comes and nothing is the same ever again. He is the spark that ignites the fire. He is the key that unlocks the door. He is the hinge upon which all of history turns. He is the light bringer. The order maker. The conqueror of chaos. He is the defender, the defeater of darkness. He is the Lord Jesus Christ and by him all things have been made. And through his word all things consist, hold together. He is the originator of all good things. In James 1.17 it says, All good things come from the Father of lights. This verse also teaches us a principle of life. And that is, without the Spirit, there is no life. Without the Spirit, there is no life. John 6, verse 63, says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, says, The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. In Romans 8, verse 10. Romans 8, verse 10 says, The Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit is life. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Spirit brings life. And if you are ever lifeless or you see a lifeless situation or you see death pervading upon a situation or a person or a, a thought or an idea, the Spirit of God will bring life to that situation. It will bring life to that person. The Spirit brings life. And without the Spirit, there is no life. You can't have life without the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit makes all the difference 
in creation. And he makes all the difference for us as well throughout all of life. This part of the creation story is a picture of how Christ moves upon our darkness of soul and brings us to redemption and light. It's a picture. It's a representation of the way God works upon things that are chaotic, upon things that are dark and confused and sinful and deadly and death. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 just for a moment to see how this is borne out, how this is represented in deeper truths than just the creation of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He who commanded the light to come out of darkness also has brought light to our own souls. And this is maybe borrowing from next week's message. But He brings the light to our soul. He's the one that does it. The Spirit is the difference maker. When all was chaos and confusion, then comes Jesus. And then comes the Spirit of God to bring about the life that we need. The light has shone upon our hearts. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says that when we are born again, we are made into a new creature. Christ creates a new man from the old dead sinner. We were sinners, folks. Maybe some of us still are sinners. Maybe some of us are without the light of God upon our soul. We've never been redeemed from the guilt and the pain and the sorrow and confusion of the death of sin. Come to Jesus. The Spirit of God makes all the difference. He conquers death. He destroys chaos. He brings light to the darkened soul. And friends, even if, it's, even if you're a Christian... How many times do you find the dark night of the soul walking through the valley of the shadow of death? How many times do you find yourself discouraged or defeated or, or losing faith or wondering, where is God? The Spirit of God makes all the difference. Entreat the Spirit of God to come upon you, to come into your life, to your situation, and bring light, to bring hope, to bring faith. He is the defeater of darkness. He presses away all of the darkness and the chaos. He brings order and structure to things that are confusing and chaotic. He does it. We can't turn to self-help books or motivational speakers or, or government leaders or even good, wonderful political candidates or whoever you can think of. Those people can't do it. It's only the Spirit of God that brings life to our souls and salvation, to our daily lives, to our struggles and battles, to our nation, to our world. The Spirit of God must be entreated. He must be the one upon whom all of our hope rests. For there is no hope in any other source. 
There's no chance of finding light or, 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 or life or anything good apart from him. Friends, if you're seeking for fulfillment, if you're seeking for hope and health from worldly methods, people that tell you, well, if you just, if you just believe in yourself, everything will be fine. People that tell you, you know, if you just speak the right words, oh, everything will work out. People tell you, just think positively. Positive, the power of positive thinking, brother, man, I'll tell you what, that'll make your life new and your people and your wife younger. I mean, you know, it, everything will be amazing. It'll, it'll make your husband take out the trash. If you just think, take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash. That is not true. And so many people are hanging their hopes on, on things like that. Hypnotists that say, well, you know, you hypnotize yourself and all of a sudden your life is great. They'll tell you a thousand and one different ways, even in the Christian world. There's a hundred thousand different books about how to, how, to have, how, to have, how to have a better marriage, how to have a better, you know, how to be a better husband, how to do all these things. And to the degree that those books point you to Jesus, they're, they're good and they're helpful. But many of them point to, I'll just do this and just try this technique and this method in this way. Apart from God's Spirit, those things are lifeless. Any method apart from the Spirit of God is lifeless and will not bring about order, good, anything beneficial. So that is the lesson of Genesis 1 verse 2. It reveals to us the difference maker. It reveals to us the intense, overwhelming chaos that existed before the Spirit moved. But when the Spirit moved, that's the beginning of all things being made new. All things changing. No more chaos, no more death. Everything was, was different when the difference maker came. So seek the difference maker this week. You have a problem you don't know what to do about. You have a long-standing bitterness, a long-standing poison in your soul. The difference maker will make the difference. He's the one that will change that. He's the one that can give you freedom and peace. Nothing else. The Spirit of God brings life. And apart from Him, there is no life. Remember that, friends. Remember that this week when you are struggling, trying to figure out, okay, I got a problem here, I got to figure out how to fix it. Hey, let's let's go, let's pray about that first. Let's stop and pray. God, would you would you do something here? Would you show me what to do? Would you give yourself glory through this? Entreat the Spirit of God upon the chaos of your life. It'll make a difference. You might be surprised. What kind of difference it might make? Maybe a coworker screams and hollers at you. And maybe you have a choice then of whether or not to pray, Lord, guide me, help me, give me your grace, your spirit right now, or to say, how can I figure out how to convince him he's wrong? I'll go three steps and a logical point to start it all off, and then he'll understand. 
apart from the Spirit of God, there is no life. You might be proven right, but there won't be any life in it. Let the Spirit of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For then the peace that passes all understanding will guide you, will help you. For He is that peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for moving upon the chaos. Thank You for not allowing the chaos to continue. For not leaving us empty and void but bringing life and light and truth and for choosing to move upon the waters of our souls. Thank you for creating the world, certainly, Lord, but thank you for making it so that we could be part of you, for giving us the opportunity to have relationship with you forever. Lord, we rejoice in that and thank you for it. We pray that you would help us, Lord, this week, to make the Spirit of God a prevalent and predominant part of our daily life. We thank you for that and we give you the glory and the honor and we thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.